0: Hey y'all, welcome to God on Tap. As always, I'm Nyka Spaulding, and we are continuing on in the book of Amos. We uh, looked already at the first three visions, and then we took a little break and looked at narrative yesterday, and now we're jumping in. This will be the fourth vision. And so we're gonna look at all of chapter eight. So chapter eight, verses one through 14. Chapter eight, verses one through 14. So let's jump right in. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit, And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat. The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds." Shall not the land tremble on this account and everyone mourn who dwells in it and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? And on that day, declares the Lord God, I will make the sun go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. I will turn your feasts into mourning, all your songs into lamentation. I will bring sackcloth on every waist and baldness on every head. I will make it like mourning for an only son and the end of it like a bitter day. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea and from north to east. They shall run to and fro to seek the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. In that day, the lovely virgins and the young men shall faint for thirst. Those who swear by the guilt of Samaria and say, As your God lives, O Dan, and as the way of Beersheba lives, they shall fall and never rise again. This is the word of the Lord. Mm. Uh, Like I already mentioned, we are continuing on with the visions here. And so this first vision comes. And so what we're seeing in chapter 8 is we have the vision, the summer fruit. And then we have really this reminder of who God is speaking to. Those who sell the needy, the poor, those who trample, those who look forward to the festivals being over so they can continue to exploit. And then we have all this day of the Lord language, what it will be like during that time. And then we're going to focus a little bit on uh, one of the signs of the day of the Lord, that there would be a famine, but not the normal type of famine, but a famine of the words of the Lord. And so um, th- this vision, the summer of basket fruit, it's really interesting because you're like, okay, what does the summer of basket fruit have? Well, in the Hebrew letters that you would use for the summer of basket fruit, it, there's a word play going on here that the Hebrew word for that basket of fruit is very similar to the end. And so God is using this picture of like, Amos, what do you see? And he's making Amos say it out loud so that when you hear basket of summer fruit, you will also hear this play on words of the end. And so like I mentioned before, we sort of had these first two visions. We have this transition from divine patience to now divine judgment. We we are no longer saying, hey, there's a chance, come back, come back. God is saying, you have chosen. And so here are the consequences. This is sort of the now you have chosen to maintain your your oppressive stance, your lack of commitment to me, your unwillingness to hear my prophet's warning. So here is what it's going to look like, and it's it's harsh. I mean, the reality is is it's well maybe harsh isn't the right word. It's just, but it's uh, it's hard to read, right? And I think what's so hard to read about it is um, it's so cosmic in nature. And that's, that, again, is what the, the day of the Lord type language is. So the sun's going to go down. Like you, the, the Up is going to be down, and down is going to be up, and there's this flipping of the kingdom, and there's this sense of the sun will go down at noon and darken the earth in broad daylight. These things that we know to be true, that we take for granted, God is going to change all of them to show us the, the error of our ways. Your feasts, these times of celebration, they will be mourning. Your songs that you sing, that you love to pluck, you know, they will be lamentation songs. We are done. But I really want to, really to use my Christianese term, I want to camp out on this. The days are coming while I'll send a famine on the land. It's so fitting. We've talked about this idea of talionic justice, this idea of the punishment fits the crime. And so in, in God, what we see is, is justness. And so um, in humans, we don't like justice. We like we like to retaliate and, and elevate, right? And so, for example, you know, um, if someone packs a snowball and hits you with it, we like to take a dump chunk of snow and, like, just dump it on people. Right? So you have, you, you see this in prank wars even, and it's just this human condition that somebody, you know, logs onto your Facebook and changes your profile pic to an unflattering one, and then you get on there and you uh, message all their exes and tell them you're still in love with them. Right? That doesn't match. Right? That's crazy. Okay? And so like, we, we do that. And God has this way of pointing to our sin by giving us what it is that we want, or what we've been asking for, or what we've been doing. So, for example, we see this in Jacob's life. So Jacob and Esau life. Jacob is a deceiver. This is what his name even means. He's, he's always deceiving. He, he deceives his brother Esau for the birthright, and then he has to run, and we have all his family conflict. Well, then Jacob comes to live with Laban, and Laban deceives the deceiver. It's comical and tragic. And we see God doing this. He, he shows us, okay, this is what you want. This is what your life is going to be marked by. How does it feel to receive that? So this is what we see in the book of Amos. If you remember, people have been telling Amos to take his message and shove it. It's not well received. We don't want to hear from you. And ultimately what they're saying is, God, we don't want to hear from you. We we would rather continue on. We You are a buzzkill, Amos. Like how am I supposed to oppress the needy when I got you chirping in my ear about the needy? Why don't you go back to to Jerusalem and talk to them about your problems. We see this in in magnified in the in yesterday in terms of Amaziah just like magnified if he is so representative that people say we just don't want to hear your message. So then God says, okay. You don't want to hear from me? All right. Which is terrifying. Uh, really. If you think about it, so is it terrifying to have the sun go down during the day? Yep. Is it terrifying to have your songs turn to lamentate? Yep. Is it terrifying for it to be bitter like mourning for an only son? Yeah. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But if you think about it, for God to give you silence, which for us New Testament believers, it's hard for us to imagine. It just is. Because Jesus Christ is the word of God and he came and he took up flesh and dwelled among us and he abides with us forever. And we have, we have the Bible in our hands. We have that we, there is not a famine in our land in terms of the word of God, but try and imagine, I don't, I don't know how to do this. Like in terms like, okay, maybe book of Eli, spoiler alert. If you haven't seen it, hurry up and see it. Push pause episode, move on to the next episode, whatever. It's a good book, but there is this sense of this apocalyptic event that removed all of scripture. And I guess in some way you'd have to remove, you know, all the people like Beth Moore and Janet Pope and others who have memorized great chunks of it. But let's just pretend that somehow there could be this imposed famine of the word of God. That That's a terrifying scenario. And the book of Eli, you know, makes it clear that it is. It's just, it's not a good, w- the word of God is is nourishment to us. It's goodness. It's It's meant to reveal to us who God is and what he's like. And it somehow, in knowing this revelation of God, it somehow results in his glory and our good. And how that works in this scenario where there's abundance, that both of these things happen at the same time is is honestly beyond my comprehension. But it's unbelievable that God would do this, that he'd be merciful, that he would condescend enough to say, this is what I'm like. And that he would condescend enough to say, I'm going to take this man, this human being Amos, Amos. And I'm going to speak through him to these other human. Like God himself has used the likes of Moses and Amos and Hosea and Obadiah and other authors and, and prophets to just say, this is who God is. This is what he cares about. And by the way, he loves you so much that he has a message for you. Let that sink in. So, of all this day of the Lord language, all this cosmic, this is what's going to happen to you. This idea of a famine of the word of God. It says they shall they shall run to and fro seeking the word of the Lord, but they shall not find it. That is awful, awful. And you know what's crazy though? Like I, straight up, like I'm just gonna I'm gonna go from I'm teaching to meddling straight up. I'm not sure all of us believe that that's that awful. I I think. Let me Actually, let me just quote somebody way smarter than me. John Chrysostom has commented, he says, This very thing that the Lord threatened to inflict on them by way of punishment, so this family of the Lord of God, he's saying this very thing that the Lord threatened, this punishment that God threatens them with, we now of our own volition secure for ourselves. This very thing that God threatens to Israel, we secure it for ourselves. We have our own self-imposed punishment. He says, we despite God's show of care for us and his provision for us. We do this to ourselves despite his care for us and his provision for us through the advice of mentors as well as the reading of scriptures. We ignore the advice of mentors and the reading of scripture. This very thing that should terrify us because it's what God threatened and then gives to Israel, we we impose on ourselves. Now look, I want to I want to set up some guardrails here real quick because this is leading into our big soa of this crazy book of Amos, chapter 8. The end is near. We're coming to it. John Chrysostom is like, yo, we are doing this to ourselves. And then he drops this like fourth century mic or whenever he wrote. I don't think they had microphones back then, but I'm not a history major, so deal with it. Here's the thing. Let me put up some some guardrails. I do not think the Bible is more important than Jesus. That that should not be that profound, but I think some people do. We are not a text-based people. And what I mean by that is the center of our faith should not be a book. The center of my faith is not a book. It's a person. It's the triune God. The center of my faith is a person who, it's a triune God who in their extreme mercy and love and grace sent provision through the Son, to die on the cross and rise again for my sins and for yours. And by saying, I believe, I wed myself to a God who cannot be unfaithful. I believe the Bible is the means by which God reveals himself to us, but it is not the center of my faith. The Bible does not save me. Jesus Christ saves me. John 5 is such an incredible picture of this, where Jesus comes to religious leaders, the Pharisees, and he's like, you search the scriptures because in them you think you will find eternal life, but I'm telling you, they testify about me And he dropped his first century microphone. Now, I'm for sure know that they didn't have microphones back then. I don't know about the fourth century, but I know about the first. I'm just kidding. Right? Jesus is saying, look, you guys think that the scriptures are in and of themselves capable of bringing about life. But I'm telling you, they're only life-giving and nourishing because they point to me. So the Bible is unbelievably important. But here's my guardrails. It's not more important than Jesus. Why do I have those guardrails in there? Because I do think that sometimes in certain faith uh, backgrounds or religious affiliations that sometimes we place the Bible over Jesus. And it gets weird and wonky. Okay. And so we have to always make sure the center of our faith is not a book, but a person. So I say all that, but then I say, That person, Jesus Christ, pointed to the book and said, "Yo, this thing's really important. Like the book itself testifies about how important it is. Like Psalm one nineteen is just this really long psalm. It's like read this book, and not to mention it's just God's revelation of Himself. So, do you want to know what God's like? Look at Jesus and then read His book in that order. Look at Jesus, read the book. How you gonna look at Jesus if you're walking around today? Well, guess what? You're gonna read the book. Okay, so this book." This Bible, the reason why I'm doing this podcast is because I think it's incredibly important that we do not inflict upon ourselves the very judgment, the very punishment that God is inflicting upon the rebellious nation of Israel. So real talk, the reason why I'm doing this podcast, one, I think I'm funny, I do, and I want to get my jokes out into the world, okay? It's just real, no, I'm I'm kidding, y'all, hopefully you know that by now. The real reason is I am deeply concerned about the biblical literacy in my day. And I don't always know what to do about it. And I know that I have a flock that God has given me at St. Jude. Shout out to St. Jude Oak Cliff. I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful for the women of Watermark that I got to teach for so many years. I will spend the rest of my life as long as God allows me pushing back against biblical illiteracy, Because if we get the book wrong, then we get God wrong. We've got to get the book right. We've got to put it in the right order below the Trinity in its importance. But the book testifies about the Trinity and so much of the problems that we're facing today, we're ill-equipped to handle because we don't know what this book says. That we are imposing, like John Chrysostom, who said this centuries ago, y'all. He's not a contemporary; dude's been dead for a long time, and he was lamenting then the problems that I see today, tenfold, a hundredfold. That's why this podcast exists. It's because I believe I've got to do my part and. And I don't know how else to do it other than to be a little bit weird, a little bit wonky, and to use the technology that God has given me. And so that's honestly why this podcast exists. So here's my challenge to us. Uh, one, keep listening to this podcast, but not for my benefit, for yours. But two, gosh, I, I just, here, here's my challenge to myself, because I, I don't even value this word this much. Um, maybe this is the litmus test. If your Bible's at your house burned up tomorrow, would there be a noticeable difference in your life? Maybe that's too weird. I don't know. I guess what I'm trying to say is, is are you self-imposing this very punishment that God has given Israel on yourself by ignoring the very word of God? Or are we cherishing it for what it is? This incredible merciful gift from God that helps us to see what He's like and who He is and what He's done for us and how much He loves us—it's really an remarkable, a remarkable book. But it's not a remarkable book because it's just literally beautiful, and it is. Oh my goodness, it's literally. Oh my gosh, in its own category. But Jesus says the reason why this thing's so important is because it testifies about Him. Do we believe that? Do we cherish it? Do we seek to study it? Do we seek to understand it? Which is a good litmus test for myself and for you. And so we're going to press on in this podcast if, if you guys think it's valuable and the Lord keeps telling me to do it. So if nobody's told you today that they love you, I do. But way more importantly, the God who has chosen to reveal himself in the word of God, the living, breathing flesh Word of God, Jesus, as well as this living, breathing book, the Bible, is crazy about you. If you don't believe me, just keep reading. All right. Peace.